Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. All right, tonight I want to take you back to your childhood. Way back when you was a youngin. Way back when you got in trouble. Now, of course, y'all were good children, right? You never got in trouble, did you? You never did anything your mom and dad told you not to do, right? Yeah, well, unlike you, I was a bad boy. And here's the three words that you never want to hear from your mama. Cut a switch. You never want to hear them words because they're bad. How many of you have ever cut a switch? Okay. How many of you were stupid like some of us and you cut a little bitty teeny tiny one? Yeah. What happens when you bring mom a tiny switch? She goes out and tears down a branch, you know? She wants to make a point in your life and other parts of your body. So she shows you what a real switch looks like. Now here's the thing. Sometimes an old-fashioned whooping and no, that is not misspelled. An old-fashioned whooping ain't a bad thing. Sometimes it's what you need at that point in your life to straighten you out. Because sometimes when you get that switch in at just the right moment, you decide that that rebellion is just not worth it. Especially when your old man has got a 54-inch waist and a 5-inch leather belt. It just ain't worth it, y'all. It just ain't worth it. Amen? Amen. Tonight, I want to take you to a classic and why a good switching ain't always a bad thing. Book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 6 is the entire text tonight. There'll be no other verses. Just these verses and these verses alone. Because these verses are so wonderful. They're so thick with amazing teaching that I want to focus on them for our time tonight. When you think about getting a switch, you think about being punished, right? You think about being punished. But there's a lot more to it than that. The first point I want to show you tonight is this. God tests his children. I know what you're thinking. Oh no, it says he doesn't test us. Just hang on and read the word of God. Don't jump to any conclusions. Here it is. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 6. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that Yahweh swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that you might humble yourselves, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you to let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, Yahweh your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Amen. Now that's some amazing verses. I would love to have gone on and done more, 
But you know what? You could spend a week right there. You could spend literally a week of meetings just talking about those verses, talking about what they mean about God's relationship to us. Now, Sunday, we talked about the fact that God is sovereign. God is the only God. God is the creator. There is no other. There's no other process involved. God is God. Now that means he gets some exclusive rights that nobody gets to impinge upon. Amen? Amen. So here it is. God tests his children. Right there. Deuteronomy 8.2 And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember, they're on the verge of inheriting everything God had for them. But before he let those children go in, before he gave them that land, he gave them one last lecture. Now, how many of y'all remember the last lecture that mama or daddy gave you before you went off to school or off into the military or off to get married? Y'all remember that lecture? Yes, sir. Yeah. What did it sound like? It sounded like every lecture they ever gave you your whole life strung together into one huge, long, monotonous speech. Your parents took every little lecture and they stuck them together. Why? It was their last chance to send you off with what was best in life. Amen? So, these 40 years in the wilderness, he's been teaching you. And it says this, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. First of all, the word humble. What does the word humble mean? When we think of the word humble, we think of some men, the way they handle their lives. I can say, Steve is a humble man. That means Steve does not think too highly of himself. It doesn't mean he thinks lowly of himself. It just means he has an accurate assessment of himself. That's what humility is. Humility is to understand where you are in life. The word humble literally means to be pressed down. What's the opposite of humility? Arrogance, hubris, pride. Pride says, I am bigger than I am. I am bigger than you am. Therefore, I win every time. That's pride. When your kid, is almost as tall as you, and she draws herself up to her full height, tries to look mama in the eye. What does mama do? Reaches out, grabs her head, and presses her back down on her feet because she's on tiptoes. Here's the thing. God does that to us. Sometimes we get up on our tiptoes trying to look father in the face and say, Daddy, I've been walking with you a long time. I can handle this myself. God says, Son, shut up. Sit back on your feet. You ain't as big as me. You ain't as tall as me. You ain't as smart as me. He pushes you back down into your place. Not humiliating you, but just putting you back to your proper level. That's the most important thing any of us can do. Remember, Daddy Knows Best. Remember the movie? Remember the TV show? Father Knows Best? Well, Daddy Knows Best about all things. So there's no time we come to our Father and say, Dad, I got this. I don't need your word. I don't need your lectures. I don't need to go back and look at it. I know what to do. No. That never happens. He always says, go back, remember my commandments. Remember what I did for you those 40 years. He said, I did to humble you. Also this, testing you. What does the word test mean? Does it mean tempt? No, God does not tempt us to do evil. But God allows us to walk into situations which are bitter, cruel, and hard. For what purpose? You ever look at the Navy SEALs? The famous hell week that they put those guys through? What's the purpose? to see where you will break. Now the purpose of that is this, not to break you, but to test you, to test you and to evaluate you. So God evaluated the people of Israel in the desert 
for 40 years. See, the old people, they was going to die because they was disobedient. They was never going in the promised land. The children had to be tested to make sure they had learned their lesson well. What was their primary lesson in the desert? What did manna teach them? What did quail teach them? Absolute dependence on a sovereign God. He had to test them. He tests us. He allows us to get in situations where we can't handle it, where we have to depend upon him, where we have to trust in the Father. We have to trust in his word. But Lord, look at the situation. I have a great opportunity here. Yes, son, but it's not right. It's not just. It's not moral. It's not the way you should do things. There's always the easy way and the right way. And the easy way is just that. It's easy. But God wants to see who's going to stand up when the hell week is over. Well, here's the thing. How many people that start hell week finish it? Not many. How many who start SEAL training finish SEAL training? Not many. Why? Because they just don't have the internal stamina. How many people walk into church, think they've got the Christian thing figured out, and the first time it gets hard, the first time they can't do it on their own, the first time they got to get on their knees and cry out to their father who is bigger and stronger and wiser. That's when you'll see a Christian. A Christian is the first one on his knees admitting he can't do it. Now the religious man will stand there, thump his chest, make his display, and pretend he's doing it. God doesn't want the false pride that will stand up. God wants the real faith that will kneel down and get on the ground and say, Daddy, this is something only you can handle. That's what it comes down to. God tests us to see that we are ready. And here's the thing. Remember those servants? You got that one talent. Did you get out there and risk it and spend it? I just had this discussion with a young man this week. I said, son, look at all the talents you've got. He says, eh. I said, no, seriously. I can look at you, I can name your talents. I could. Anybody around him can name his talents. I said, what are you doing with your talents? Uh -uh. I said, because you're not using them. God gave you those gifts for a reason. You're not using them. Therefore, they don't please you. They don't bring you joy. They don't bless the church. They don't strengthen the church. They don't build the church. They don't give God glory. So what good are they? No good. How many people have got those gifts, talents, and abilities, but because they don't trust God to use them, they sit there and rot on the vine like old grapes. They just go away. Consider this, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But Yahweh said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For Yahweh sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. That's the thing we have to understand. When you look at some people in church, the guy with the biggest Bible, the guy with the loudest mouth is usually the first one to fall out when hard times come. He's the first one to slink away and, and hide himself like an ostrich with his head in the dirt and pretend it's not going to happen. The one who was pompous in the good days is the one who's absent in the bad days. But the little bitty pipsqueak, the little guy that no one paid attention to, the little guy that read his lesson every Sunday, the little guy that took notes in church, the little guy that prayed every time there was prayer necessary. Who is standing when hard times comes? It's the little guy. The little guy who has faith in God. The little man who is quiet but devoted to Jesus. That's the man who stands. And you see, we look at the big, loud people, the ones with the titles and reputations. God has no respect for them unless they're the same on the inside as they are on the outside. And nine times out of 10, I will tell you this, 
Nine times out of 10, what you see on the outside is the opposite of what you've got on the inside. That's a sad statement, but in the modern church, it is all too true. The valiant one that screams and yells and cheers in the good days is nowhere to be found when the real battle gets fought. Why? Because he turns yellow and runs. That's what happens in a fight. Only the true soldier stays behind. Amen? All right, let's keep looking and talking about this chastising. Going to chapter 8, verse 5. He says this, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God, Yahweh, disciplines you. Okay, remember what I told you last week? Ezekiel 7, 9, right? Ezekiel 7, 9. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways. While your abominations are in your midst, then you will know that I, Yahweh, strike. That I am the God who strikes down, who punishes, who chastises, who whips your ever-living hide. That is the God who is also the God of love, and the God of mercy and grace to those who seek his face, to those who hold his commandments, to those who believe in his son. Same God. It's the stern father as well as the loving daddy. And you tell you this, if you got a loving father who's never strong and correcting, he ain't loving, he's a coward. A good father sometimes has to bend you over the knee and take you to the wood shop. My old man loved me. You know how I know? Talk about that later. Anyways, Deuteronomy 8.5. Know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, Yahweh your God disciplines you. What is this word discipline? Is it the word to beat or to strike or to whip or to cause pain? No. This is the word to instruct or correct. As in the way a child is taught the proper way to do things. The Lord disciplines us. He instructs us. He corrects us. When there was sin in the camp, God let devastation come. But when they got straight, he re-embraced them and took them on. When the parents were disobedient, he allowed them to die outside the land of promise. But the children who were obedient, he took them home. Understand that. God doesn't play. If you are not living the way you should, he will bend you over and tear you up. That's what God does because he loves you. Because it says, what kind of man does not discipline his own son? I'll tell you what kind of man doesn't discipline his own son. A false man. A coward of a man. Because you know what? Look at all these kids we got running around today acting like hellions. Insane in the streets. Because nobody ever cared enough to bend them over a knee. I am not advocating whipping your children. I am not advocating the board of correction. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you better address the sins in the lives of those around you because if you don't, you don't love them and you don't care. And don't pretend you do. If you don't speak, you don't love. If you're the one that sits idly by with your mouth closed and your head in the sand, you're just begging for God to drop kick you right through the goalpost of life. And you know the song I'm talking about. Consider this, Hebrews 12, 5-11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If God receives you, he is going to straighten you out. He's not going to let you go doing what you always did. He is going to take you to task. He is going to bring you to your knees. He is going to correct you when you're wrong. If you've never been corrected by God, it's because you ain't saved. 
I'll make that statement based on the word of God. And I dare you to challenge me on that one. If you've never been taken to task by God, you ain't saved. You ain't. Because God has taken me to the woodshed more than a few times, a lot of times. That's because he loves me. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline, instruct, or correct? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There was no time that we got a just whooping that it didn't set it straight. I'm not talking about child abuse because some men are abusive. I'm not talking about excessive use of violence and force and slapping and hitting. Don't even try that excuse with me. You know what I'm talking about. So don't go there. I'm talking about when you sassed your mother or your father and either one that bent you over and lit you up and you deserved it and you knew it. But what did it teach you? Mom and dad don't play and you've got to show respect. God's the same way. You disobey the word, you approve of sin, you allow things to happen in God's name, which are ungodly. Do you think God's going to bless you? I don't think so. I think he's going to tear you up if you're his child. If your father is Satan, don't worry about it. God will never lay a finger on you until judgment day. Amen. That's the truth. That's a terrible truth, but it's still the truth. All right, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 6. God teaches his children. If he tests us, he also teaches us. Amen? He teaches. Part of that teaching was instructing and correcting. But look at this one. It says right here in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, the second part. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Let me ask you a question, guys. When did you learn that you were not enough? When did you learn that your own wisdom, your own training, whether it was college or the military, didn't mean jack squat? When did you figure it out? Or have you figured it out yet? When did you figure out that your wisdom fell so short of God that it wasn't even funny? I figured it out a long, long time ago, standing in a church, thinking I was saved, and God had to slap me upside the face and say, boy, you're going to hell. That's when I figured out my wisdom, my righteousness, my holiness wasn't enough. And every time I face a situation in a church with my daughter, with my wife, dealing in a counseling situation, I realized intimately and painfully that my wisdom is not enough. And I got to keep running back to the word of life. Keep going back where I know there are true answers, lasting answers, good answers. And that's important. He says, I did all this that you might know. That means you might have an intimate, personal knowledge. You can acknowledge in your head with your mouth that God's word is good. But here's the thing. If you don't do anything with it, you lie unto yourself. If what you hear in church does not change what you do on Monday or Thursday, depending, then you're lying to yourself. If this does not change you, why are you here? What are you doing? I come to God's word to be changed. I, I got a long way to go, people. I got a long way to go. Do you know why I won't give up preaching? Even though I'm half dead and horsed out. Like, why, why don't you quit? 
Because this is my life. This is where I draw my life from. It's from this word. I mean, I learn more when I write a sermon than I can ever teach you. I learn more about myself from this word than I can ever share with you. I'm just trying to share with you what God has shown with me. And that's why I tell you, go home, open that word up, look at it again. Ask yourself the question, how does this change me? How does this change my life? How is this my life? Because if you look at it, it says this, that those men were there in the presence of ample provision. You know, we have everything we need in life. Face it, guys, we have cars, we have refrigerators full of food, we have Comcast full of sports, we have chips, we have candy, we have wives to service. Yeah, right. Okay. That was a joke. Now y'all laughed. Okay. That's bad. Think about it. Physically, we've got all we need, right? So what is it that we don't have? We don't have eternal life without Jesus Christ. And we only learn that from the Word. You see, we were taught by all these hard things, all these difficulties, all these trials, that there's only one place that we can go for life. That's to Jesus Christ. That you might know that man does not live by food and houses and cars and jobs and military pensions alone. Because all that stuff is worth jack diddle in the big run of life. It's not worth anything if you don't have Jesus Christ. How many of us brag about what we drive, where we live, the clubs we are members of, how expensive our watches are? Hey, $25.95 at Kmart. You know, how many of us don't brag about the things that we've got, but how many of us go out every day and brag about Jesus Christ? Brag about his grace, brag about his mercy, brag about his provision. Well, I was in the doctor's office and he said I was gonna lose my voice forever. But I said, well, praise God, I'll learn to write. I mean, I can write now, but I'll learn. And then I'll write his praises down. You know, I may not be able to sing ever, but I can play somewhat. I will find a way to praise God. If I got my hands cut off, I learned to write with my feet. You know, seriously, if our lives are really about Jesus Christ, that should be the most frequently spoken thing in our life. But I'm willing to bet for all of us here that Jesus Christ occupies, what, 10% of your day? 15% maybe. Okay, so you yeah, had a holy roller moment. 20% of your day is about Jesus, and the other 80 is about how great you are. That's how most people live their lives. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know you guys are different. Just say amen. Amen. Make me feel good, please. Okay, you guys know better. All I'm reminding you is this. The world doesn't know what a real Christian looks like unless they can see it in you. Unless they see that you are the fountain of praise. You are the one who offers God the glory. You are the one that stands up. You are that one little guy that will not let that person trash talk Jesus Christ or badmouth the Bible or badmouth our faith. You're the one that stands up and takes the heat for it. God is looking for real men and women. Unfortunately, most people in church fail the test. Can't help it. It's the truth. Most of us fail the test when it comes to having a zeal and a passion for Jesus Christ. What does he teach us? God teaches us that we need him. The only way that we can be witnesses, the only way that we can be bold, the only way that we can speak out is if he has given us a testimony. Can you imagine what those people coming out of the desert after 40 years had to say about God? Oh, remember that time I was hungry and there was manna. Another time, I was so thirsty, and there was water. Another time, I was so sick of manna, and there was quails. Yeah, there wasn't no Cadbury eggs in the desert, but we got by. 
Think about the testimony they had coming out of the desert. What desert are you in right now? Some of you have just retired and you don't know what the heck to do with your life because you don't know who you are anymore. You just retired and you don't know what that means. You don't know what that makes you. Suddenly, as a man, you don't have a job. You don't have a title. You don't have a rank anymore. You may have one that you've carried over from the past, but if you don't have that testimony of Jesus Christ, all you can talk about is yourself. And that's what God said he came to teach them. Absolute dependence upon himself those 40 years in the desert. But let's finish it up. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 6, we're still going on. God protects his children. Amen? Amen. Here's the high point of all of Deuteronomy. God protects. Yes, he tests us. He wants to see our metal. He wants to approve us to know who we are. He also wants to teach us that we're dependent upon him. We're dependent for life, for a testimony, for strength. When the doctor says you've got cancer, you ain't got no strength unless Jesus Christ puts it there. Amen? Y'all been there, you know what I'm talking about. Finish it up tonight. Deuteronomy 8.3. This is the first part of what we just read. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Did you ever consider that? Without God's revelation of manna and quail and the rocks springing out water, they would have died in the desert. What does that mean to us today? Why are we here? We're here because we were in a desert and the desert's name was sin. And in that desert of sin, we were hungry, we were thirsty, we were dying because we could not find any way to sustain ourselves. Until what? Until God in His mercy let manna fall from heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then quail came to sweeten it up. And even the rocks would gush forth the water of life for those who were dependent fully upon Him. That's our testimony. The testimony of the children of Israel in the desert, that's us. We found water and manna and quail because God laid it before us. The fathers didn't know what it was till God showed it to them. Now imagine this. We live in Tacoma, Washington or somewhere else in this area. What is the one thing in common with everybody out there? Whether they're Korean, African-American, white, Filipino, Chinese, whatever they is. What's the one thing they got in common? They all dying. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're trying to get money and houses and cars, they're trying to get a promotion at work, they're trying everything to feed their empty bellies and to quench that thirst, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work because God made only one thing that will satisfy their need. You know what that means to us? We will never be hungry, we will never be thirsty. He says in the scriptures, when have I ever seen the righteous begging bread? Because our Father is the author of life. He is the one who gives the bread. And the bread is in the Word. That is why a Bible is not something to hold your door open with. It is something to feed on daily. It feeds the mind. It feeds the spirit. It feeds the soul. It makes us strong. It reminds us of what God has done and how He has provided in the past. And that is so critically important. That's why I said a few weeks ago, I hate it when we say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No, you didn't. You wouldn't have bootstraps unless God gave you boots. And you wouldn't have the strength unless God gave you the strength. God pulled you up from the muck and the mire. He took the scales off your eyes. He revealed himself. It's all his glory, not yours. You didn't do nothing. You live today because the God of grace has allowed you to live. 
you know how many people in this church should be dead? There's a lot of folks in here that should be dead. They've had cancer twice. You guys survived wars without question, without number. Battles where y'all should have been dead. Why are you here? You should never have survivor guilt. You know why? Because it ain't because of you you're alive. You're alive because God wanted you alive and here to serve him, to testify of his grace, to testify of his mercy. You're alive because God desired and ordained that you be here. That has nothing to do with the guys that died. Many of the men who died beside you were God-fearing Christian men and women. They died because our Father ordained that that was their day of death. And that's okay with me. When God desires to take me home, Baby, punch my ticket, I'm gone. I'm not sticking around for nobody. When God says, come home, son, I'm going home. That's all there is to it. Amen. I'll take that rapture. Anyways, Deuteronomy 4 says this. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. You know how impossible that is? Even the finest leather would not last 40 years in the desert. Nobody could walk in that sand day after week after year for 40 years without experiencing that swelling in the body. You know what God is saying there? So long as you are where I put you, you will always have what you need to go on. No matter what physical condition assails us, whether for me it's a voice, for you it's cancer, for somebody else it's another condition, whatever that is, God will sustain us until we have finished the job he has assigned to us. Isn't that the greatest source of strength? I do not have to fear cancer. I don't have to fear anything because my God gave me a day to be born and a day to die. And I will fear nothing until my father takes me home. And the only thing I fear is disappointing him. I better get an amen for that one. Amen. All right, that's the only thing y'all should fear. Never fear man. Never fear disease. Only fear the God who is master of all. That's the truth. You know, it's amazing to me. God can give you provision out of anything. Remember, Sunday we talked about creation. Creation was ex nihilo, out of nothing. It was a fiat creation. He didn't form the world out of nothing. He spoke it. God can bring you provision. So when, you, when you're serving the Lord, He can give you what you need, even if you don't think it's there. It will come to you. I've been serving the Lord a long time. I'll tell you something. When you can't find a way, God opens the Red Sea because that is how God is. God does what he does because he chooses to do it. Finish it up. So, is your bottom sore tonight? Is your bottom sore? Hopefully I'll switch you just a little bit and lit you up. But is your, is your behind sore tonight? One, God wants us to know what we are made of. When God tests us, when he puts us in that fire, when he presses us back into our place, he wants us to know, yes, I'm less than God. Yes, I'm not as smart. Yes, I don't have all the answers. But with Christ, I am completely sufficient to the task that he's given me. That's what God wants you to know. Without him, you are squat. In the center of his will, Tom, you can do anything. You can accomplish anything because God will give you everything that you need. Even though you are not smart enough, you are not uh, talented enough, you're not young enough. Guess what? God don't care because he's got everything you need to finish the job if you're willing to stick to it. If you'll be the little guy that stands up and not the ostrich with his head in the sand. Second, God wants you to know that he is God and you are not. That way you don't look to your own strength. You won't try to do it. You will be dependent. You will bow your knee and recognize that what you need does not come from your hands. It comes from his provision. 
Because really, I have heard so many people in my office over the last five years, belly aching. I just don't have that, Pastor. I can't get the right job. I don't have enough money. I don't have this. Okay, but then what's God going to do in that? See, they always go to God last. After they exhaust themselves, exhaust their mind, after they do all the work that they think they can, and they got nothing from it, then they go to God, and God always gives what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. That's important to remember. If God didn't abandon them in the desert, he sure ain't going to abandon us here. Third one, here it is. God wants to show his love and provision for us in hard places. And the older you get, the harder the places get, amen? Every day, a little more hurts. Every day, you're a little closer to the grave. Every day, you wish the rapture would come. Here's the great thing. Every day, you're closer to Jesus, literally. Because he's coming. And if he's not coming, we're going home. Amen? Amen. Here's the thing. God tells us who we are. That's our identity. He tells us what we can depend upon it for. That's my provision. And finally, he provides that protection. My clothes will not wear out. My feet will not swell. I will not become weak. I will not become useless in his service till he takes me home. Whatever you're afraid of tonight, people, cut it loose. Because if you're afraid, you won't stand. If you're afraid, you won't take up God's cause. If you're afraid, you may as well bow down and kiss the feet of whatever false god is coming your way, whether that be a government agency or the woman that you married. Let's pray. Hey, thank you for visiting our podcast today. Both Words from the Wildwood and From the Archives are presented to you by our family as an offering to Almighty God in the hope that they will help you grow in your understanding of God's amazing Word. If what you hear has been a blessing, consider supporting our efforts by sending us your prayers and by letting others know where they can hear us on local podcasts. If you are in the U.S. and you are able to help in any way, shape, or form, please send any support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77522. If you are outside the States, God bless you and share Jesus with those that you can. God bless and we'll be back soon.